Welcome back to the Out of Your Mind podcast. This week, I had the opportunity to sit down with Heather Ivany, spiritual mentor and yoga and Akashic teacher. From self-work to motherhood to helping others transform their lives and over to human rights, this conversation covers the gamut and drops lots of amazing little nuggets of wisdom and strategies along the way. So if you're looking to take a deeper dive in your own personal development, your own learning and understanding of yourself, you're not going to want to miss this episode. Let's dive in. Hi, I'm Pam Godboys, ex-therapist turned self-development and business coach. And it wasn't that long ago that I was lost, not sure how to rewrite my own story of success. But fast forward through many failed attempts at an online business, And what I learned is that success really is an inside job. This is where the Out of Your Mind podcast was born. Applying the principles of mindset, spirituality, and all things woo, my guests will show you how this inner work is so critical to your business success. So if you are an ambitious entrepreneur or one in the making that is looking to make a major impact on the world, you are in the right place, my friend. Let's get started. Heather, thank you so much for being here and joining me on season two of the Out of Your Mind podcast. I would love for you to share your journey. Like what what brought you here? We're having this conversation today because you're in the world helping other humans grow and evolve in some way. So I'd love to hear how you got there. Thanks for having me on your program, Pam. It's an honor to be here and having conversation where we can dive into matters of the heart. It's important. It's a pleasure to be here. So yeah, my journey into spiritual mentorship actually, like most people, started with recognizing what I didn't want. So I grew up in a very loving home, but the location of where I grew up, I always felt a little bit offbeat with. So by nature, I like being in nature. I enjoy things that move a little bit slower, small towns, the ability to have an experience of life and not just an experience of work. And I grew up in an environment that was very much the opposite. And as a result of that, I was able to see how a lot of people weren't very happy with the choices that they had made. So my mom had always said to me, do what sets your heart on fire, do what what lights you up. And I really took that to heart and it required that I leave home. It was basically like I wanted to go away to university and travel at the same time. So I thought I'd kill two birds with one stone by by going to university across the country. But I think even at that time, my soul had this higher calling or this deeper resonance within me to go out and have different experiences so that I could see that there was other ways to show up and live life than the constructs of what I was shown growing up. So I've always been curious. It's my nature to be very curious like you, Pam. I've always asked questions. I've always been a critical thinker. And in that process, it's just that following the breadcrumbs, one thing leading to the other until eventually arriving to where I'm at. Yeah. So how did, just thinking back to my own experience with going off to college for the first time, I was 17 when I went off to college for the first time, 
and was like, let me get as far away from my parents as I can to live an experience. What was that journey like for you? Because you said you went across the country and then obviously there was an evolution that happened. Well, it didn't work for me <laughs> that way. This is part of it. It's like, I wanted to go away, but I'm actually by nature, like I'm a home suck. And I was not leaving because I didn't not like my parents, but I was leaving because I felt very controlled by my parents. There was that aspect in there for sure. So in that process of being away from home, um, what that did is it took me further away from nature. And so what I realized after two years of university was I'm not able to get in nature because I'm literally just busting my ass from April to September to afford to be able to go back to a university that was beautiful but it was keeping me in these concrete walls all the time. So what I decided to do was come home and that summer, I wasn't happy. And I think what I did is I sat down and I closed my eyes and I was like, when have I been really happy in my life? And what came through was when in grade 12, we took an outdoor living trip and we went and spent three days out in a place called Rocky Mountain House. And we did river guiding and hiking and rock climbing. And that was one of the most magical experiences that I had. So how I actually started my process of being in connection with consciousness was I contacted that company and said, hey, I know nothing about like how to survive in the outdoors, but I really want to be a part of this program. And she brought me on as an apprenticeship. So I did a summer or I did two summers with them. And then that led me to go north in northern Canada on the Nahani River. And I started off being a river guide. And so that took me to New Zealand. And then when I came back, what I realized was that although I really enjoyed nature, the pace of guiding is very intense. It's a lot of responsibility and there isn't many opportunities to really just chill out and enjoy nature. You're doing a lot in nature. So I knew that I was still on the right track, but then I was like, I feel like I'm really losing the part of me that wants to be soft in this environment. River guiding led me then into forest firefighting, which is also another sort of harder lifestyle. I was one of one women sometimes on a camp with over a hundred men. So I was a vet on these experiences. And so I really had this thick skin that was developing within me and I didn't like it. I liked the adventure side of myself and the part that was connected to nature, but I really felt like I was losing the essence of me. And then I started to self-teach myself yoga out of a book. And this man who came into my life while I was firefighting, who's now my husband, but at the time we weren't even close to even dating, he just very gently would nudge me and be like, I like that you do yoga. You should keep doing yoga. And then when I shared that I wanted to do a yoga teacher training with him, he was so encouraging and just was like, I really think this is a good fit for you. You should pursue that. And his gentle encouragement along the way took the masculine energy and rounded it more into a feminine energy that wanted to come through. And then it slowly curated and developed over the last 25 years from there. Wow. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. It's amazing that the right person showed up at the right time to support yeah. you in like, just helping you highlight the things that maybe if he hadn't shown up into your life, you wouldn't have necessarily paid attention to. Yeah. And what I really appreciated about him was that he was one of the first men that, that I dated that wasn't dating me because I was this hard ass rock climbing chick. Like he actually was dating me because he's like, that's cool that you do these things. But I also like this softer side of yourself and I'd like to see more of it. 
And I'd never had that before. I also have two big brothers that I grew up with that were the typical big brothers. So it was just very interesting for me to be in the company of a male figure that that wanted to see more of my softness. It was new for me. Yeah. So yeah. how did you take that gentle encouragement and allow that piece of you to evolve? So then... From the point when I started doing my yoga teacher training, that I think was the first time that I felt like I had landed home. So what happened in my 200 hour training? So this was also back before yoga, yoga studios were on every street corner. This was still when they were very hard to find. And I had never taken a yoga class before doing a yoga teacher training, just to give you some perspective there. So when I'm sitting in my yoga teacher training, there are so many elements of that training that I got these lovely little, oh, I already do that. I didn't know that was a skill set that can be then brought into yoga. So for example, I've taught my whole life. So I was teaching these kids in the outdoors. I coached volleyball when I was young. I've always been in a role of teacher. So when we're learning about how to teach, that part was very innate within me. And then I actually was so naive when I did my yoga teacher training. I didn't even know that meditation and yoga asana were complementary and in the same lineage. So I meditated by, and I thought that was something separate that I did. And when I'm in my 200 hour, I'm like, oh, like there's a meditation component in this training as well. So there's a lot of parts of me that had been sitting in different houses and I'd been putting on different hats to wear that then they all got welcomed into the same space. And so that was when I think I really started to realize, like, I've landed in my home base, and how can I develop and curate it from here? And my background is phys ed, that's my degree. So when I first started teaching, I was really enamored with the anatomy part of yoga. But as I started teaching, what I really noticed was I really had a soft spot and a real passion for the consciousness aspect of yoga. Like how can we take a room full of strangers and create community in this moment? How can we take a philosophy of yoga and relate it to the everyday? Because I started, I had my first child I got pregnant with within six months of finishing my yoga teacher training. She wasn't planned. So that was also like a big like boomerang or whatever you call it, like a wild card that came thrown in there. And it made me have to redirect what I thought a spiritual life looked like, because now I had a child that was interrupting my spiritual practice. And how could I make my practice inclusive of her and not separate from her? Yeah. So it's so interesting to hear the this idea of coming from the physical background, which makes sense, like based on all the other things that you were doing, right? You're like yeah. climbing and you're all these physical masculine energy type things. And that what you were drawn to was the soft, energetic, spiritual component that is part of the yoga journey as well. So how has that evolved for you? The spiritual component? Yeah. Like how is that the inner, the spiritual component, the non-asana practice, the non-physical practice of yoga? How has that evolved for you through the years? I think it started with supporting me in getting to understand and develop my relationship with my emotions. So living in a small town, it's very easy to present yourself in a certain way because you see people in the same context. So for example, 
I teach a yoga class at nine. And then at noon, I'm in a classroom teaching a yoga class with kids who I know 80, 80% of the parents and the kids in the class. And then at 3 p.m., I'm at the school pickup with all the people that were at my 9 a.m. class. So we end up associating in many different contexts in a small town. And what I started doing when I first, so I moved here as a yoga teacher, and then I would notice myself presenting as the stereotypical yoga teacher when I would go to these different places. And at first I was very proud of this in the sense that I can keep this peace and calm essence of myself no matter where I go. But what I was really doing was denying a lot of other lower grade emotions that I wasn't really willing to recognize. And my husband pointed out to me, he's like, you go and teach a class and you put all of the good juice into the class and then you come home and it's like you flick a switch and you don't have patience, you're snippy, you're rude to us. It's like, he, he would say, it's like you left it all at the studio. And that really woke me up and it taught me that I needed to start to see all my emotions as having a room at my table or a seat at my table. And how can I honor my anger and my jealousy and my shame the same way that I honor my peace and my calm and my equanimity and my joy and my happiness. So that was the first piece was just like starting to really take the fictitiousness out of the way that I was presenting. Cause it's not my, I don't like pretending it's not my nature. So when I see myself doing it, it's really like a big wake up call for me. And then simultaneously, as I was curating the emotional side, I had the very blessed fortune of being introduced to some amazing teachers that really took the practice into consciousness. So Yoga Nidra was a beautiful access point for me, developing meditation in such a way that went beyond just peace and calm. And then most recently, it's the Akashic Records. And so working with this different soul frequency and being able to get information on that and share it with them, that's been like the most fun. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about that journey for you? And then like, how I love when I hear that's been the most fun. That's always like my favorite statement. Yeah. Yeah. What is that then like? And where is that bringing you? I think what's been the most fun is the fact that I've been most accepting of who I am through this journey. I think that's what makes it most fun is that by the time I got to, so just like when I did my Akashic training, I'll go in and share a little bit more about that in a moment, but when I completed my Akashic training and I said to my teacher, keep in mind, I live in a, I live in a town that is still very type A. It's very much a highly adrenaline driven town. So there's lots of professional and high-end mountain bikers here, skiers, even like marathon, like it's intense, this town. And so I was like, oh, how do I offer this in this small town? Because they're barely in agreement with yoga. And now I'm bringing in the Akashic records, right? To give you a perspective of where I am. And my teacher was like, just call it Akashic records because you're no longer reaching just the people in your town. You're going beyond that. And the only way that people can find you is by calling it exactly what it is. And I think in claiming that and just really being like, I'm not hiding that I work with spirituality and I work with consciousness under these labels that are more accepted. And I'm just going for one that is more direct. That really allowed me to rise up and step into myself more fully. And since then, it's just been a constant agreement with that because in trusting that it has led to 
the most amazing experiences that I otherwise wouldn't have had if I just kept dabbling and tiptoeing in and out with it. Words matter. Yeah. That's what I've had. Uh, I have a friend who teaches kundalini yoga and she was not calling it kundalini for a really long time. And she was like, I can't fill my classes. And I was like, start calling it kundalini. People that are looking for it are going to find it and they're going right. to come and that's what's happened. And yeah. it is interesting. We There's this shrinking away. I don't know. I might offend people or I might, this might not fit with the community that I'm in or whatever. So I'm going to shrink away this lineage really, because it's not even just us. It's like this lineage that has been here that is, is has a reputation long before us and our own inner like insecurities, fears, and doubts are, it's very easy to rely on our old, our own stories to shrink away from the thing that could be in many ways so powerful. And it sounds like it has been powerful for you. Yeah. I love how you're describing that because it wouldn't be popping if it wasn't ready to be popped. That's the other thing that I keep reminding myself of, right? Since I had heard of the Akashic Records a little bit before I played with it, but it certainly wasn't like a mainstream conversation. And it's just interesting how many people have found me because I'm just calling it what it is. And I'm like, I had no idea that this was so hungry right now. And what's much of an honor to be able to witness is I also offer Akashic training. So people that want to learn how to work the Akashic Records and to watch people go through this similar experience of booking a call with me and being, I really feel called to learn about this even. And some people are like, I actually don't even know what it is, but I just know that I'm meant to do this. And does that sound weird? And say, yeah, I get this all the time. And to watch people go through their own inner crossroads of being like, I can choose to step into myself and do this thing, or I can choose to keep staying the same and to support someone first in claiming the step towards their higher self number one, and agreeing to do the program. And then when they're in the training and watching them be like, I can't believe I'm like doing what I didn't think was possible because we get so used to watching things like Star Wars rather than thinking we can actually be in a live experience of Star Wars. It's really cool to watch that with people. Yeah, I would imagine so. And can so can you tell us a little bit more about that, like about the work that you're doing and what that is? The experience is like for you, but also, you know, how you're working with people. Yeah, there's three main platforms that that I work with people in. One is, so my two big sort of personal missions that, that I feel very like heart connected to. One is that removing the stigma that that these realms of consciousness and being able to tap into them are reserved for the yogis and the priests and the mystics and the healers and all the rest of it. Like it's available to anyone who wants to access it. So really just releasing that stereotype is big for me. And then the second piece that's really big to my heart is that I really feel like with where we're going with current events is that part of the future being able to heal itself comes from more and more people being willing to access the energetic realm and to work with it. And what I'm seeing is more and more people are accessing it and working with it, but they aren't able to support themselves and sustain themselves financially with it. So one program I have is called Sovereign Leadership, which is just that. It's like, how can we clean up our money wounds? How can we work with bringing in financial abundance, not just to like to sustain ourselves, but also to be able to put money into projects that we feel are supportive to where we want to be going as a global community. So that's called Sovereign Leadership. Unlocking you is for the person that's like 
wanting to go into consciousness, but not quite sure how to, they need more of a toolkit. So that's a program that teaches people to release the periphery of distraction and really come into their center and use specific tools to be able to access their own higher self and listen to it and their aligned purpose. And then the Akashic training is the third program that I do, just teaching people how to access the records. Does that answer your question? Was that what the question was? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just curious, what has the process been like for you to go from, this is a cool thing that I can do to like now supporting all these humans as they walk this journey themselves? I think what the biggest piece is, was when I decided to shift my business from yoga teacher into more spiritual mentor, I allowed my business to actually have its own consciousness, its own sovereignty, its own free will. And so I have conversations with my business, like this is what I would really like to do. And my business will be like, that's great. And this is what I would really like to do. And so we work together. So for example, what I first started with, the very first thing when I moved into mentorship was Unlocking You. And this is a program that's very dear to me because see the most transformation in people through this program. But what's interesting is my business really wanted to bring the, I thought I would use the Akashic Records as a support tool in Unlocking You. I didn't know it would be its own entity within my business. And the Akashic training fills instantaneously. Like it's so easy for me to fill it. it. I even have an overflow program this fall. And so I have to get the Heather out of the way because she really wanted the Unlocking You to be the signature program in my business. And just to give you a perspective, like in this fall program, I have three people in Unlocking You and I have 19 people in two programs with the Akashic Training. So that's where I have to release the control of how my business wants to be presenting itself and roll with how it wants to unfold and how it wants to reveal itself. So that's been like my biggest like shift is rather than me pushing and driving my business, I'm instead like, what it, how easeful can this be? What is the most easeful way that I can access my business and have it? And I'm a conduit for it, but I'm also not subservient to it. So I get to say, you know what, that date actually doesn't work. I have a family thing happening. So we're going to do this on a different date if that's okay. And so I get to have a conversation with it rather than just, I don't agree with just being passive with consciousness and having a hierarchy where consciousness sits on a pedestal and we're below it. And we just do whatever consciousness says to do. I, my perspective is more that it's a relationship and we're at an evil an even table together. And so we get to have conversations with how things will look. So That's been a surprise to me because I thought the unlocking you would be the biggest thing that I do. And what's most fruitful is the Akashic training at this time. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting too, as you're talking about this process of seeing your business and your programs, really like each individual, it's not even just like the business as a whole, it's each of your programs, each of your offerings, each of the things that you're doing, that there's, you have a relationship with all of those things. And I've been saying for two plus decades that everything in our life is a relationship. We talked about money and people relationships and all these different relationships of time. We have all these relationships. And so often we get wrapped up in trying to put on, to go back to what you were talking about when you first moved into your community, trying to put on like the face that everything's good, right? Let me slap on the mm-hmm. mask that all is good or all is that there's an extreme 
in a relationship. And one of the things you talked about when we first started chatting was about this idea of actually evolving and harnessing the authentic you, right? This idea of like authenticity and like learning to show up in all of the myriad of emotions and all of the experiences. And what has that, how is that showing up in your business? Like, how is that showing up in like what you're offering to people and how you're helping people on their journeys? I think for myself personally, the biggest shift that I've had in the last couple of years is I used to view what I would say as like my failures or the things that didn't work as something that I'm just not good. And I think what has shifted for me is instead I approach it from a different perspective of have I developed the skill set in this area. So for me, like I I was a yoga teacher for over 20 years. I loved what I did when COVID hit and things shut down. It was about the third lockdown where I was like, you know what? I can't pretend anymore. I cannot keep working in this profession and pretending that I am supporting myself, not to other people, but just to myself. So we have three kids. We live in a town that's not a cheap place to live. And we were constantly like month to month to month. And so I was going through this process of, is it time for me to get out? Should I maybe just go and drive truck somewhere and make X amount of money and just abandon this conscious work altogether? And I had the beautiful opportunity because we were in lockdown to have a lot of time to sit and meditate. And when I meditated on it, what kept coming back to me was you're not in the wrong field but you have no idea how to work with money. So clean that shit up. (laughs) And, and, and it was pretty a stark experience that happened, but I was basically in a car accident. It was a 22 car pileup. And when my car was destroyed, it was the only vehicle we had because both of my husband and I were off work because of COVID. And I just written off the one vehicle that we had, my husband had to sell his. And while I'm waiting for the ambulance to arrive, All of my attention should have been on, I'm alive, I'm going to make it, I know that other people haven't in this experience, and thank God that I'm going to go home. And instead, I was like, how the hell am I going to afford the ambulance that's coming for me right now, the medical bills that will proceed, and I've just written off the one vehicle, we have no idea how, I have no idea how I'm going to get another vehicle. And I was so angry in that moment, Pam that I swore I will never, ever be in this position again. And I said, just show me the way. And so from that experience, I then got really honest with how ridiculous I was with money. I got put into a position of, not put into a position, but offered an experience to work with a coach that was amazing. But the cost of her program to me was a million dollars at that time. I took a huge leap of faith and From there, the rest is history, but it was not without a lot of struggle and intensity and like really wanting to do what it is that I want to do and figuring out how the heck I can do it. Whereas before I just would have been like, I just suck at making money. And so I guess I need to do something else because I can't make money doing what I'm doing. And now my approach, whenever I come up to those roadblocks is what is the skill set that I need to develop in this moment to help me work with the next step of whatever it is that I'm doing? And it's a totally different way of approaching things, right? 
So resistance to me, and I work with this a lot with people, this is probably the main piece that I work with people, is that resistance is an opportunity. It's not a means to quit what it is that you're doing. It's an opportunity to look at what you're not seeing and how can you work with that more fully. Yeah. And you talked about when we first started chatting about one of the things that you had to do was not just put on the face that everything's lovely and hunky dory and I'm just going to be grateful all the time. And I'm just going to sit in the like stereotypical yoga teacher place. Right. And I'm going to allow myself to experience my emotions. And if you weren't doing that, then you would have only seen being angry as a failure. I never would have been able to evolve through that process and use that as an opportunity to grow and learn yourself, which has then allowed you to grow and learn in your business and teach other people on their journeys as well. Yeah, it's neat. And when you start to play with one of those emotions, it's like all the other ones start to land as well. Like even jealousy was a big one for me. Like I hated jealousy. It felt like the lowest, like stickiest kind of grossest emotion. I didn't like it when it came up. And now it's like jealousy for me is me watching someone do something that I want for myself. And do I actually really want what they have? And if so, why am I seeing myself as separate and not being able to have what they have? How can that, because that's why I think that's why I hated jealousy so much because it really created a separation. They're here and I'm there. And instead now jealousy creates a connection. It's like they figured out the skill set that I need in this moment. So how can I get closer to them and figure out what that skill set is so that I can also have what they have. It's fun. It is fun. That's an amazing place to be is to move from a place of the just the recognition that the emotion of jealousy for you was this recognition of a disconnection and a separation and probably a story or belief that that got got wedged in there that said you're not capable of getting there until you looked at it and you were like, why not? (laughs) Why am I not capable? (laughs) Totally. Yeah. And if I'm in relationship with consciousness, this is where it gets really fun is then, and I'm saying like, what's the next step? What's the next step? Consciousness is then putting this person in front of me to not show me how bad I'm doing, but to say, here's your next step. Figure out how this person's doing it because they're doing something that you need to be able to do in order to make your next step possible. And so consciousness is not always going to show us the downloads through us. It's going to show us the downloads through the people that we're engaging with. And so oftentimes your partner is actually going to say, hey, you should try this. And you're like, can't do that. Literally, your partner is consciousness making a suggestion to you on how to move into your greatness more fully. Yeah. Yeah. And if we have the ability, if we've done the work to be able to see each, anything that shows up really in our lives as an opportunity, then we sit in a very different place than if we just see the world as lacking or I lack because I don't have the things that are being put in front of me. Absolutely. It takes us out of the space of being a victim and puts, and, and then that space of victimhood for me feels like I have no choice. So when I have no choice, I lose my life force energy. When I lose my life force energy, I don't want to do anything. Whereas if I can put, take myself out of the role of victim and put myself into a place of opportunity, all of a sudden I have choices and choices to me is very empowering because I get to 
choose what I want to be doing. And it goes against the grain, I think, in a lot of ways of what we're being shown in society right now. I think almost we're being encouraged to be victims rather than being game changers. And so to put yourself in that role of being able to see opportunity not only supports your own growth and development, but it creates a ripple effect of other people around you to be able to also make that choice. And you become like a pioneer for the reality that that you want to be living in. Yeah, That has a big multiple effect there, which is fun. <laughs> I love the, I lo- just even love that terminology of pioneer. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're leading the way of, okay, it's doing this, but like, this is also available to us. Let's go this way. Yeah. And for some of us, it's a business. And for some of us, it's in our career. Some of us, it's like being a parent, right? And that's as a mom, I have a 13 year old daughter, which if anybody has ever been a 13 year old female in their life, they maybe remember how, what a struggle that developmental phase can be and being able to teach the humans tiny and not so tiny humans in your life by leading by example is amazing. Yeah. And allowing them to have choice. I think that this is so interesting because I, so I have a 14 year old, so I'm right there with you. And when our kids are toddlers, we're taught to give them choices. And for some reason, that languaging diminishes as they get older. Something I'm playing with right now is I'm also have a 16 year old. So I'm playing with teaching responsible partying rather than telling them what they can and can't do with their partying. It's not, it's not common, but I'm enjoying the relationship I have with them as a result. We do a whole lot of not teaching her what to think, but teaching her the process like this, like tapping into consciousness and is this, and how do you feel about this decision? What does it feel like on the inside? What is your body telling you? What is your connection to your higher self telling you? Um, And I certainly was not, I did not grow up in that household. No, me neither. (laughs) Love my parents to death, but did not grow up in a household where somebody said, what does it feel like to you? What do you think feels right? We're all muddling our way through it and it's the ultimate experience or experiment, but, but I enjoy the that's just it. It's almost like we're losing the ability to teach ourselves how to critically think. And so bringing that back in, one of my daughters in their social studies class the other day, they were just having a very open conversation about something that was going on in in current events. And I was so happy that was brought into the classroom because I feel like there's almost this, we can't talk about anything anymore. And not only was it brought in, but it was just a, a, an open circle conversation that they had where they passed the stick around and everyone got to give an opinion on what it was that that they thought about the thing that was going on. And I was like, I love that this is coming back in because this is something that I feel for some reason, our critical thinking and our ability to ask questions mm-hmm. is being questioned. It's being pushed down and it's nice to see it brought back up. Yeah. And you talked about that, like n- being naturally curious and curiosity, I, I will say across the board with people that I interview on the podcast, conversations that I have with other entrepreneurs and individuals that are really working through their own journey so that they can help or inspire or teach or whatever the terminology is based on what they're doing, other human beings, that what I'm, the work, so much of the work is in curiosity, right? Is in getting curious about like, why do I think that way? Why do I feel that way? Why is that my experience right now? And if we're squashing curiosity in our kids, how are they going to 
how are they going to do any of this work themselves? And curiosity for me is the gateway to connection. So as long as I'm staying curious, there's opportunity for me to try and understand situations better, to understand people better. And when we dismiss curiosity and we don't give ourselves permission to be curious, it amplifies the separation. So we're at a choice point where it's, do we want to be a part of the the frequency that is creating disconnect? Or do we want to be a part of the frequency that's creating connection? And I've even noticed this in myself in the last little bit where, where, because I I think a lot of us are doing this reflection of like, how have I been impacted by COVID? We're two plus years out. And so looking back, how have I been impacted? And what I noticed in myself is that the prior to COVID me used to hold more space for whoever I was in conflict with. I I was better at holding space for they've had their own experience and their opinion is coming from a place of that experience. And how can I be more empathetic to whatever it is that they've been going on? And what I noticed how I've hardened is that when I'm in conflict with someone, I notice myself and I'm not proud of it, but having thoughts and fantasies about bad things happening to them, right? And wanting like not good things to happen to these people that are really getting under my skin. And that's because I've lost the ability to be curious. Mm. I'm curious as to why they think that way. I'm curious as to what makes them hold that opinion. And when I'm losing my ability to be curious, I'm hardening myself against life. And so that was a moment that I had a few weeks ago where I'm like, okay, reset, start to become more curious. I wonder why this, I wonder how that, and I'm noticing in just in the last two weeks, how much more emotional I am because I'm letting this part of me come back in. And I'm, and this is just how I work where it'll probably be a bit of a hot mess for the first little bit until these emotions realize that they're back at my table and they don't need to come out in such a, a flood because they know that I'm going to let them out when they rise. But when we're in survival mode, we push pause on the emotions that make us soft. Yeah. What do you think in your experience, what do you obviously you can say like COVID, but what aspect of that do you really feel has been the thing that tripped you into survival mode? I feel like it was the, for me personally, my biggest challenge through all of this has been the removal of human rights, the right to choose. And there's something very, when that button gets pushed in me, and I should probably go into the records more and explore this within my own soul's frequency, but there is something that when a, when my human right or someone else's human right is threatened, it puts me in such a primitive state that I lose my the part of my brain that goes into logic and reason and compassion and empathy. And it just goes into, this is good, this is bad. These are the sides that we're on. So I think that's what it was. The more the, towards the last, the first year, everyone was trying to figure things out. But then once the vaccines came out and the, you have no choice, but two came through, I think that's when I started to make that switch within myself. But I love that you asked that question because I hadn't really... Um, drawn the line back to the moment, but I believe that's what it was. Was this like you no longer have a choice? This is just what you, or you have a cho- choice, but it's coercion, right? Like it's a very, yeah, coerced choice. Yeah. And there's been so many 
not even just from a vaccine place. There's been so much around human rights in the last couple of years that has definitely rolled through our through our site. I feel like every because there was a moment where I was like, there were so many things that were on the table that it was like, I don't know what to choose. Am I am I Black Lives Matter? Is that going to be my cause? Is it the Me Too movement? Is it what's going on with COVID? Is it that there's so many causes? And I wasn't aligning with any of them. And I was feeling that inner shame of, I should do something. There should be something that I believe in that I want to get on board with. And then it was like the, in Canada, the restrictions and the mandates have been much more intense, I think, than the US. But, and then when it was like, there is no, this is what has to happen. And then it just hit me. It's if you pair every single one of these movements back, they all fundamentally come back into a human rights conversation. So that is now, if I'm choosing a cause, that is now my cause is human rights. It doesn't matter what topic we're on. Mm. Is Are we in a situation in this conversation where human right is being infringed upon? And that creates a whole other conversation there too. And it's not my area of expertise, so I don't want to go too far yeah, into no, it. No, no, that's, I, but I love that you were just able to trace that back. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like for so many of us through this whole crazy last couple plus years, I've had a lot of people say, oh, it's COVID. Well, what specifically? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. I love that you're like, yeah, let's distill this a little bit more. What is it of COVID? Because that's a really, because if we just keep that blanket, it's almost like a protective way to not address what is actually presenting itself. Oh, that's beautiful, Pam. What an awesome topic to just reflect on. Yeah, it's been interesting. It's been interesting mm-hmm. for sure. And that's like going back to that curiosity piece. For me, you talked about curiosity and connection and I am, and a part of it is what I do and have done for years as a therapist, but I'm really, I'm my main function. If I go all the way back, cause I trace my story back to like, why did I become a licensed social worker? Why did I become a therapist? Why did I become a yoga teacher? Why did I become a coach? Why am I working with moms? What are all these pieces? I trail back to like my junior year in high school when I said to my high school sociology teacher that I wanted to be a sociologist because I wanted to study people and understand why people do what they do and why communities and groups do what they do and how they function. Like I wanted to get to the root of it. I want to know what makes everybody tick. And he said to me, you want to be a social worker. You want to help people. And I was like, okay. So I became a social worker. Like I just like blindly, he was a teacher I trust. I just blindly followed that was the right choice. But it's interesting how even with that, I've I've always come back to, and my curiosity is always, exactly. Mm. how did you get there? What is that journey like? So, well, and I find it like, I, I love that study alongside you. And what I also, so that's the zooming in of it. Like when you take the aperture in and being like, okay, what makes you tick? But then I also love the lens where we can go, really big and wide and be like how much the human experience can hold like blows my mind. I don't know if you're familiar with Kaya Ray, the Sophia code. She's Mm -hmm. an author of a book. So her like beginning introduction to her book shares probably one of the most horrific experiences that a child can have. And here's this woman in her adult form totally whole 
healed, radiant, vibrant, like that the human experience can go through such atrocities and still be able to come through and live in this experience. And that the opposite is true, that that it, it completely destroys the human and the life takes itself at the end. And that I find fascinating that there's like a Buddha and a terrorist within each and every one of us and that the human experience can hold the capacity for both. Yeah. 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 It's an amazing concept. I could talk about this for three weeks nonstop. Yeah, we've gone way out in left field, but I've enjoyed every moment of it. <laughs> it's all good. It's, it's usually where things usually we go out, we come back. It's a nice little trip. Nice little trip. So you have, as you said, you have three programs, three offerings right now. Yeah. And so how can people like, where are you hanging out? How can people learn more about what you're doing and get a little bit more of Heather? Yeah, the best the best thing to do would be if you pop over to my website, which is just my name, heatherivany.com. On the homepage there, I have a button that says join the spiritual reset and you'll be invited into a seven day journey where each day I just give a little suggestion as to how to move from the distraction of the periphery and in towards the midline to just reset um, your connection to spirit. And that's like a very easy, like no strings attached way to get to know me. If you want, you can explore the other programs that I have included on my website there. And then the second piece would just be Instagram. So it's Heather underscore Ivany. That's my Instagram handle. And I do go live there at least once a month with a meditation experience there and as well as a bunch of other little tidbits to to support people with. Those are my two main ways. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Is there anything else before we wrap? Is there anything else that you want to share? Any nuggets of wisdom that you feel like we didn't cover and you want to draw in? No, but I would love, I really encourage like the convert, like anyone that from your audience that's listened to this, this is a conversation that I think you and I really enjoy and it's on our hearts. So I invite listeners to reach out and have a question or a comment to keep the conversation going. I think it's important. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. And I will link up in the show notes your the way to reach you on Instagram as well as my Instagram so that if people want to continue the conversation with both of us, they can. And guys, if there's anything about today's episode that is like that you really want more information on, you really want to dive into deeper, or you have a question or a comment, like please by all means reach out because Heather and I would both love to hear from you. Yeah, and we would love to have a reason to come back and have another conversation. Yes, we would. That would be fun. So thank you guys so much for being here. Have an amazing week and I will see you guys next week. Take care. Hey, thank you so much for tuning into today's episode and nice job on making it all the way to the end. Sticking around really speaks to your dedication and commitment to your own journey. So pat yourself on the back for that one. And like with any new venture, we truly believe word of mouth is so valuable in the growth process. So if you're enjoying the podcast, share it with your peeps, share a photo or video of you listening on Instagram, and be sure to tag us at out of your mind with Pam. And so you will always know when new content drops, be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening to this episode. Thanks again for listening. And we will see you in the next episode.
One of the most effective things that you can do as a mom is you can learn to regulate your nervous system. Now, you might be thinking, Pam, how do I regulate my nervous system? Well, there's lots of different strategies, but one really great way to start to wire the brain for relaxation for calm, for more peace, is to up your gratitude game. And that is exactly why I created a free email series just for you. The ultimate guide to a grateful life is 15 essential practices and prompts to cultivate a brain wired for gratitude, which will create for you a more abundant and a happier life and you. And all it takes is just a couple minutes a day. These are strategies that are proven to wire the brain towards rest and digest. And that is the side of the brain, the parasympathetic nervous system, that we want to be more active. This is where emotional regulation comes from. So grab your copy today by going to pamgodboys.com forward slash gratitude and start wiring your brain for a happier, healthier life.